Thank you, worship team. And thank you, uh, Jude and Zane, the 56ers. It's awesome to hear of y'all's week, and uh, we look forward to how you'll continue to, you'll lead us by example uh, with childlike faith. Um, so we're grateful. And I uh, just want you to hear that, that you're an important part of our, the body here, our church family. And uh, so we celebrate. Uh, I do want to, um, before we get into the message today, part of what um, we are called to do and really designed to do as part of, of being a church family and being the body of Christ is to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so I just want to um, call attention uh, to an opportunity for us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Um, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Um, Cliff and Haley Martin, uh, after a long and back and forth, up and down um, adoption journey, um, have uh, a new one in their family. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name, so I'm not going to say it now, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to, Celebrate! We're going to rejoice with them with a shower at the end of this month. Uh, I know our women's ministry is putting that together, so we rejoice with you, and um, we're just thrilled. And then uh, weeping with those who weep, uh, one of our elders, Brian Mosley, uh, lost his grandpa this week. Um, I'll get choked up with you, Brian. He's a great godly man. Um, Brian, if you don't know, leads right now media, which used to be um, called Bluefish TV, which used to be called Priority One, I think it was. His grandpa, uh, being a pastor and evangelist, he went out and found out that missionaries around the world were doing amazing work, but nobody ever knew. And so he just like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chronicle their story. I'm going to chronicle God's story of working through them. And so he brought that back, and that eventually became what now is right now media um, but that's sort of the form. It's the heart of that man, the heart of your grandpa that is evident. He just effervesced with joy, uh, joy in the Lord. And so I, I just want to pause for a moment. Let's pray. Let's rejoice. Let's weep. And let's um, thank God for all of life. Lord, uh, we are grateful. We are coming to your altar now um, in a time... Uh, of needing your grace and mercy alongside the Mosleys. We, we weep um, with, with Brian and his family, um, his own kids, their great-grandpa. And I thank you for the godly heritage, the, those that he has left in his wake of, of love and influence, and particularly his walk with you, Lord. And now he's with you. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And so we rejoice in that, and yet we also grieve with them. And just with a lump in our throat, Lord, we say thank you for your grace and be, be ever so compassionate and near to the entire Mosley family. And with the Martins, Lord, we rejoice. Um, what an awesome gift. Thank you for um, even your presence and nearness with them as they thought they were going to adopt, and then they weren't, and then they weren't sure, and then... And then kind of out of nowhere to us, but all in your plan, Lord, you have brought a new little one into their family, and so we rejoice with them. We also, Lord, uh, want to be like the psalmist who says, um, I rejoice at your word as one who found great spoil or treasure. So as we open it now, Lord, 
May we not should ourselves to death, but may we find your word to be a, a spoil, a treasure, a gift, and rejoice in it. And may that spill into our lives as your word gets worked out um, when we leave this place so that you'd be honored and the character of you, our God, your peace, your goodness, your kindness would be what is effervescent in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are um, pushing pause. We're going to be using pause a lot, I guess, but we're pushing pause on our Luke series that we're almost done with. Um, What we're doing as a church, if you're newer with us, is once a month, most of the time, the first Sunday of the month, sometimes it becomes the entire month, but um, the first of the month or second week of the month, we'll pause what we're doing currently sermon-wise, and we're going to do a different practice uh, in the way of Jesus. And so we're calling it practicing the withness and way of Jesus. Um, In other words, the way are his habits, his rhythms. How did he do life? Not just what did he teach, but he first called his disciples to be with him, that he might also then send them out. And so he didn't just send them out with, here's my doctrinal statement, now go tell some people. He lived this way before them. In fact, the church, early church was called the way before it was called the church like we call it. And so today we're going to look at, uh, we're in our sixth month of the year, Um, we're going to look at the practice of Sabbath, Sabbath or rest. And I'm going to, the next slide, if you'll throw it up there, Connor, I have these two icons. And what I want to ask as I begin today is which of these two icons currently pictures your life? Which one currently pictures your life? Um, the, this side, your left, <laughs> that's kind of the fast forward button. It's kind of in motion, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going. And the other one obviously is the pause button. Now, God didn't design life to always be on pause. Okay, so some of you are type A'ers and rule followers. You immediately, I throw this up and you feel guilty if you're not pausing. And then others of us, honestly, with our current right labor shortage and all this stuff out there, some of us don't need the fast forward, but we probably need the play button. We probably need to work. We're going to talk about Sabbath, which is on the seventh day. After six days of work, there's a day of rest. Some of us in here, need the message of work. We're not talking about that today, but I want you to hear that it's only one day of rest, but that's powerfully a counterbalance to work, and God intends both. Okay, so I want you to hear that, Um, but as you look at these two pictures, what pictures your life as an ongoing current reality? Here's my aim today as you look at these two pictures. First of all, is to uncover our need for rest. And second, along with that, to ignite your desire to receive the Lord's invitation to stop and rest in Him. Eric spoke about it. We sang about it. The boys tried to practice 60 seconds of silence, right? Why do they have trouble? But really, why do we have trouble with the pause part. I want to uncover that it's a clue that we have a need for rest 
And then as we talk about that, I just simply want to ignite, stoke the fire that God already put in you to receive his invitation to stop and rest in him. Now, we've used these two verses, the next two slides. Jeremiah chapter 6. I want you to notice this is the Old Testament version of what we hear Jesus say in the next slide in just a second. But as we look at these practices, we've kind of gone back again and again to these because we're looking at the way of Jesus but these ways of Jesus were, were also ways that God has always intended life with him in his world to be. Since we are his creation and since we are his children. And Jeremiah says in chapter 6, Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths or ways where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Don't you want to find rest? The next slide, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Uh, interestingly, the religious folk were all after Jesus. They didn't like his rule breaking. They didn't like his uh, tradition, you know, dismissing, they thought. And yet, ironically, though they were the leaders and should be the ones teaching the way of God to people and teaching them how to, to be in right and refreshing relationship with God, they felt oppressed and worn out. And here's Jesus' invitation to them and to us. We sang it. Come unto me. Come unto me. Not a doctrinal statement, not religious hoops to jump through or hurdles to jump over. Come to me. Who? All you who are weary and heavy laden. I love that Jude talked about the, the bag full of rocks. We're weighed down. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the invitation. I simply want us to uncover the, our need for rest and to ignite your and my desire to receive the Lord's invitation here to stop and rest in Him. Now, next slide. If I were to ask each of you, it's a similar question, but let's just say we were talking in the hall, you're not looking at my icons or my weird slides or whatever. I say, hey, how are you doing? How, how are things going? Most of us in the room, in the lobby or in the parking lot would say, oh, I'm fine. I'm just fill in the blank. Say it loud. I'm just busy. I, I'm fine, but just kind of running, right? Busy, frenetic, frazzled. Go, 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 go. That is what characterizes our age. That is also how we end up weary and heavy laden. Again, if I ask, you might not even say I'm fine. You, you might, I might catch you in a time when you kind of are surprised and you get a little verklempt and you say, man, I'm just exhausted. We are just at our wits end. We are worn out. We're just kind of always hurried and frenzied and just kind of beat. In 2016, you would have said, I just can't even 
thankfully we're past 2016. That was an awful year. Um, <laughs> but I want you to notice again the icon. My, my, what I'm trying to do in terms of uncovering our need is to say we are in that ever restless way of going about life and the way we perceive life and the way we feel life. It's our insatiable condition. But that icon again, it's forward, it's forward, it's forward. And what our world is telling you and me, in fact, the reason why we would fill in that blank, I'm fine, but busy, is because we have put that up as you must be among the important upper echelon status of people. And ironically, though, it's not just the upwardly mobile. It's not just those with, that are kind of on the top of the org chart. It's all of us quickly jumping to say, I'm fine, but I'm busy. Why? Because it is the, a, a virtue among virtues. It's the uh, aspire to quality. Why? Why do I want to be? Why do I at least want you to think I'm busy? Because that might mean that you might perceive me as important. That you might think, well, you, you got a life worth living. And yet most of us in our quiet moments, which it ain't just fifth and sixth graders that are scared of quiet moments. But when we get in a moment of quiet and we think about our busy life and the veneer or the projection of how important our life might be or our attempt to do so, we begin to crumble inside we begin to feel that angst, that ache, that something's missing. In fact, I would tell you that so many of us live with a continuous buzzing dissonance. If you're ever here on a Sunday and we have sound issues, like you'll hear the, a buzz sometimes, that's, that's a dissonance, it's a, and it's a buzz. But many of us live our lives with a continuous buzzing dissonance that we can't identify. We know something's missing, something's misfiring. But to avoid that angst, we turn up the noise. I don't want to feel that. We turn up the noise. We just increase our activity. We pick up our pace. We pick up our little pocket-sized escape portals to numb what gnaws within us. We are ever restless. This is the human condition I think it was Thomas Aquinas when he went on this kind of search on how in the world would, would when would uh, men or women ever be satisfied? What would it take? And he said, it's everything. Basically, I would have to go and experience everything, do everything, and then have every, uh, and experience everyone, and then have them experience me. And eventually, like, and here, and I made this um, a goal when I got to Dallas, by the way, um, not to be eternally satisfied, but to go, I'm going I'm to go to every restaurant in the Dallas area. Do you know how fruitless that, <laughs> I mean, it's not, not fruitless because it was tasty, but there's no way I'll ever get there, right? Well, why was I doing that? Nothing wrong with it. You know, enjoying food, we'll talk about that. That's a gift from God. But I thought, well, I'll hit that hole in the wall, then that hole in the wall, that hole in the wall, that hole. In fact, if you ever need any type, you name the type of food, I might have one or two suggestions for you, okay? But, but why is it that I'm not, I, 
I didn't get satisfied when I went to the, you know, 350th restaurant in the area. Why? Because that was never meant to fully satisfy me. It never was. That's not how God designed me. Augustine, I think, uh, in the next slide, you may have heard this quote before. I'm giving you the fuller quote. Uh, we, we mostly hear the last part. But he says in his confessions, you stir man, talking to God, you stir, stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. In other words, we have been purposed for him. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Or later theologian, next slide, Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. I spared you from the rest of it because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. I almost wasn't going to hit that note. <clears throat> I, I think it's important for me to throw the rest of the line out because that's exactly how we live our lives. Those two little things going that way, fast forward, and I try and I try. Why are we trying so much? Why are we in such a hurry? Because our world says, hey, you must be in the, the cool club, the good club. You must have the good life. And I've got to prove something to you. And I still have that ache. So I got to keep going and keep going and keep going. And every one of us, next slide, that is who we find ourselves becoming and or realizing this is our human condition. We try, we try, we try, and we try. Um, years ago, a, a, a woman named Judith Shulovitz, um, who is Jewish, wrote an article. Um, basically, she'd, she'd grown up uh, in a Jewish family, but it kind of, you know, set that aside, it sounds like. But um, I want to read you just a little snippet from it. As she describes this ever restlessness in New York City, any city, it gets amplified. There's more options. There's more stuff you're missing out on. I can't sleep when I go to New York City, honestly. I'm two in the morning. I'm looking out the window like there's something happening. There's some people somewhere. But Judith says this, my mood would darken. Like she talks about getting through her week and she has this angst. She said, my mood would darken until by Saturday afternoon, I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends and swapping tales of misadventure and the relentless quest for romance and professional success, made me feel impossibly restless. I started spending Saturdays by myself. After a while, I got lonely and did something that as a teenager profoundly put off by her religious education, I could never have imagined wanting to do. I began dropping in on a nearby synagogue. It was only much later that I developed a theory about my condition. I was suffering from a lack of Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? She says, ours is a society that pegs status to over overachievement. We can't help but admire workaholics. Let me argue instead on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in reasonable check for thousands of years. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. Okay, we're saying stop and rest. That's what we're looking at. Most, she says, we most mistakenly believe all you got to do is just not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. 
They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of the will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction. Isn't that interesting? She came to the conclusion, I've been trying and trying and trying, and I can't get no satisfaction. My heart is ever restless. It needs, it needs to find its rest in the proper place. And so we are ever restless. In fact, she elsewhere in the article talks about how we just kind of get ourselves in the machinery of this life, and yet it does nothing to alleviate the eternal inner murmur. That's haunting, because that is so true. That, that, that is what you and I feel. If you're a teenager and you're like, is this all life is, and I don't like mom and dad's rules, and this what? that's that angst. That's that murmur. If you're, you know, middle management in your company, and then you got a promotion, and then that promotion, you're like, is this all it is? That's that inner eternal murmur. Or as Augustine said, God has made us for himself. But we are restless until we find our rest in you. So, we need rest. And I want to invite us just for a moment, the next slide, to consider God's invitation to stop and rest. I want to show us kind of quickly, um, believe me, as I was preparing for this, I'm like, there ain't no way. I can't cover all this. So we're going to do a, we're going to do a kind of a quick survey through, and I want to invite you to have enough of a stirring to continue to pursue it. We're going to send out an email or two this month to say, hey, here's some things you could stick your toe in with. Okay, so relax. I know some of you are like, all right, just tell me. I got it. I need to rest. Tell me when and where and how. I'm not doing it. I'll do a little bit of the ballpark, but part of, we'll see that part of it, uh, that's where Jesus was always getting in trouble with the religious authorities because they wanted, you're not doing the when and the where and the how and the, you know. I want us to look more at the why? Well, because we need rest. And who? Who is the one who invites us to it? And who is the one that created it? It's God himself. And so I want us to see um, stopping and resting. That's the invitation. I want us to see, first of all, the rhythm of Sabbath woven into creation. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. And actually, the last verse of chapter 1. It'll be on the slides, but God creates. Uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes through each day of creation. And you know that there was this rhythm. There was evening and there was morning, a second day. Verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Next chapter. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. You could just leave that slide up there for a moment. I want you to see, first of all, that Sabbath 
or the rest that we all need, God wove that need and he wove how to find it and enjoy it in his creation. It's the first, um, it's the gift that he gives us. After six days of work, he himself rested and he set a pattern. He set even um, within us the need for this rhythm. It's a gift. It is a gift. He blessed it. He set it apart. Some of yours says made, made it holy, sanctified it. He said this is a special day for a set-apart purpose, particularly for you to find great delight in me and in my creation and all the good gifts that I am giving you in life. But it does require a pause. Um, Adam Mabry, uh, one of the books I read, I'll put it in the email, it's called The Art of Rest. And he has this quote, um, next slide. He uh, says, God's verdict on his work in chapter one, verse 31 is good or very good. So good that, uh, that God, pleased with what he had made, rested. But notice this, he didn't rest because of tiredness, but because of triumph. God didn't rest because he was exhausted, but because he was exhilarated. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, God finished his work and he rested. We imagine, I need a shower, I need a nap, right? God never needs naps. He rested. And so I want to point that out because that's the pattern for us. And it also lets us know there might be some things about rest biblically that we may not really have grasped. And the first and most important thing to just put in your brain to let it drive you crazy until you work on it more is God rested. God rested. The one who never sleeps, the one who is eternal he rested. What does that mean? Well, as he says here, he doesn't rest because of tiredness, but because of triumph. What's the triumph? Finished work. He completed his work of creation. He sat back, and it's kind of the, man. And he, and he, he exulted. He was exhilarated with his creation. It's not only good, it's very good. And that's why it says that he, he blessed that day. Uh, to, to, to bless is to bestow a gift, but it's not just to bestow a gift, but also, if you will, to infuse with a function that has a, a warmth and an enjoyment. So he blessed it. He bestowed it. It's a gift to you and me from God, but he modeled for us what it is, and it is, and the best example I could think of is uh, we're now at the beginning of summer. Maybe you've, you've mowed your yard a couple times. All right, I'm sorry. The three of you who don't have somebody else mow your yard, right? You, you, the first, right, we hadn't done stuff for a while. We weed the beds. Um, we, we lay down some new sod over here. If you've got any extra, we need bad sod at our house. 
um, you mowed the yard and you, and, you, and you sat down on the back patio. You did take a shower. You sat down on the back patio and you popped open the beverage of your choice. And you just said, you looked around, you're like, one of my mentors, um, he's now passed away. It was Dave's pastor, Tom Rogers. It's a big old man. He looked like an offensive tackle, but sadly he was a kicker in the NFL. Uh, but he did look like a left tackle. And um, the thing he would do that very much modeled what I'm trying to say is he loved mowing his yard. As a pastor, he's like, man, I'm realizing more and more I have zero control. And holy cow, he's not, uh, he's not as peopley as I am. So he was just worn down, and he's like, ah, I got to get a hold of that yard. And he edged that sucker. I mean, it was never a, wee, uh, a blade out of place. But he'd sit back at the end of the day and just go, ah. okay, I'm going to get goofy on you for a second. Can everybody just do this? Everybody do it. Ready? Okay. All of us need that. All of us need that, and God knows that. God who doesn't need to rest like we need to rest physically, get rejuvenated um, you know, in our bones and our body and our systems and all of that, he doesn't need that, but he rested. What did he do? He says, ah, look at the work I have done. And so he's the pattern. He blesses it. He bestows this gift, and then he gives it function. He infuses it with function. Now, we're not going to go super nerdy on this. I will tell you in the background of this passage um, is the idea of that, that what the Jews later have in the temple, because that's where God calls his place, to, his presence to dwell. There hadn't been sin yet in Genesis 1 and 2. And this was the temple. The Garden of Eden was the temple, the place where he caused, where he dwelt. And he dwelt with them, and it was a place of beauty, and it inspired awe and relishing and just being enraptured with things that were functioning how they were supposed to. And they were just beautifully aesthetic uh, to the eye. And so he, he took it all in, and he delighted in his creation, but also... The next part of it is the idea that he rested. There's actually two verbs used. The other one is, is a little bit, um, sorry, I do need to tell you this very important thing. The first one is why we say Sabbath, because it comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means literally stop. So God worked and worked and worked. He did his work and he stopped. And he took it all in. He said, it's very good. But then he also did all that work because then now he's going to rest in the term. And the other word, the other idea is to leave a residue or to reside in or to sit in because he's going to rule in that creation. And so once you have sin happening, um, then God's like, I got to fix this mess, but I'm going to dwell with my people and build a temple. You look at all the specifications you look at all they were supposed to do, be very meticulous about it, but it was all about his holiness. It was also, though, about him residing with his people and ruling with his people. And that's very important when we think about Sabbath. It's stop and rest. We need the rest, but rest also like God. Rehearse who he is, rehearse who I am in him, 
rehearse that he's my provider, my sustainer, my shepherd, and delight. So many of us are missing what's right in front of us because we don't ever stop. And then many of us, actually, I will talk about at the end in a minute, we're scared of stopping because we're scared we might not do the stopping right. Or we're scared of stopping because if I do stop long enough, I do pause long enough, right? I start being haunted by the inner murmur. And God says, no, I gave this to you as a gift. And he modeled it for us. Well, next, um, God's people knew that. um, And then, but they weren't really practicing it. They weren't really stopping and resting. And so God said, all right, I really mean it. I want this for you. So I'm going to make a rule. Turn to Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, it's the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston has come down with them. Um, This is the fourth commandment. Verses 8 through 11, they'll be on the screen. Okay, he had already put it, woven it, woven that rhythm that we need and we can, can enjoy and be re- rejuvenated by, but they weren't doing it. He said, all right, uh, chapter 20, verse 8, they'll be on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To keep something holy or something being holy means set apart for a specific purpose. Set apart for a specific purpose. You have certain clothes you set aside for when you go to a wedding or a funeral, right? They're set apart for a specific purpose. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Notice, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You are, it's a dedicated day to him, which greatly benefits you and me. And then he says, in it you shall do, not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, uh, your male or female servant, your cattle, your sojourner stays with you. For, this is the reason why, for in six days, he's going back to Genesis 2, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. He rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. They were to remember. Log that word in your head. They're to remember. Now go to Deuteronomy. This is the first giving of it. Well, those folks weren't going to actually enter the promised land. So we had to wait till the youngins grew up. And in Deuteronomy, it's a big old retreat before they're going to enter the promised land. And Moses restates it in Deuteronomy, all of the law, and expands on it. But in Deuteronomy 5, the next slide, He says, you shall remember, there's that word again. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore, because the Lord rescued you, the Lord your God commanded you to observe or keep the Sabbath day. So therefore, because you were a slave, but God rescued you, not because you were worthy of it, but because of his own mighty hand, or as we say, merciful and mighty, He rescued them. Remember that. So it's not just, hey, God rested, let's rest. It's also when we rest, we are to remember. We are to, and I'll get get to this in a moment, we are to rehearse. 
rehearse. Remember who you were, a slave. Remember who brought you out and brought you to a land where you would have a rest, where it would be flowing with milk and honey, where I would be your God and you would be my people and you would be distinctive among all the people of the earth. And those people, the sign of that covenant relationship is the Sabbath. You're going to be so distinctive, even back then in a world that's work, 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 work. On your sixth day, you're going to do a little extra cooking. You're going to get a little more done so that on the seventh day, because it's dedicated to the Lord, you're going to live off of what was produced the six days before. And it, was, it would be a testimony that their God was the one who rescued them. They were to remember that, and they were to remember that he provided enough. If you'll trust me, on that seventh day, you'll eat, you'll have enjoyment, you'll have delight, and you'll rest. And so that was the rule for God's people. Question. Next slide, I think. Yeah, is the Sabbath rule for us? Is the Sabbath rule for us? Um, as I said, Jesus got in trouble a lot. In fact, Matthew's gospel, we went through 11, 28 to 30. Come unto me, all you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Not accidental that Matthew decided in his gospel to the Jews who knew all the laws and were seeking, is this the king we were looking, Messiah the king we we're looking for? The very next two stories in Matthew's gospel in chapter 12 now, after come unto me and you'll find rest, are Sabbath stories in which Jesus is accused of breaking the Sabbath. When his disciples pick some heads off the grain and they're like, the religious leaders are getting like, we've had it with you, okay? And they're like, you know you're not, that's not what's lawful. And he said, have you never read, which is a big insult to somebody who that's all they do is read the Bible. Have you never read about David and what he did? And I mean, human need trumped that. And then he has a really shocking statement. He says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Elsewhere he says, hey, it's not that, you know, Sabbath's for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like, we're not supposed to be work, 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 and show how, you know, stay on target, stay on target. That's not what the Sabbath is supposed to be. The Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest and enjoyment, a day of worship, and a day of just hitting reset with your Lord. And you guys are making it all about nitpicking deals and you're, you're just exhausting people. And he says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I call the shots. In fact, I'm the ultimate fulfillment of all the, the Sabbath rest is pointing to. He didn't say all that in Matthew, but that's what he's implying. And then the, the very next section is where things really turn up in the Gospels. It's the turning point in all the Gospels. Sabbath, he heals a man with a withered hand in the synagogue. And they're like, that's it. And all the gospels say, and even people that didn't like each other, they started getting together to conspire to destroy him. That's the hinge in the gospels. Because in Matthew's gospel, what happens is Jesus then, they, they uh, through their leaders, the nation of Israel rejects him. We don't want you as our Messiah and King through the leaders. So in Matthew 13, he starts speaking in parables to the disciples. They're like, why are you telling these strange stories? He's like, well, to you, it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, 
but to others only to hear and go, eh, I don't get it. Why? Because of their rejection. Why did they reject him? Because they didn't like the way he handled the Sabbath. And he's like, if anyone should know the purpose and, and the, the intent of God in the Sabbath, it's the one who himself is God and is the Lord of the Sabbath. Colossians 2, Paul would pick up on, because all those things pointed to Jesus, all of the Old Testament sacrifices, etc. He says, in the next slide, he, um, he says, right after talking about all that Jesus did to cancel out our debt and what he did on the cross and dying bodily for us, and he says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Like, can you have a beer? Have a beer. I just thought I'd make some of you nervous. Um, uh, only if you're 21 or older. Uh, don't let anybody be your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to a festival, new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, they were pointing to Christ. Christ fulfilled the law, and, and, and he knew that we couldn't ever do it all, and doing the law would never save us because of sin. And so because of what he has done, I would say that, no, we, it's not a rule that we have to follow. Now, what I would say is the Ten Commandments, um, I, I wouldn't debate this. There's people on both sides of that. Why? Well, because honestly, it doesn't really matter if it's a rule you need to follow or not because it's a rhythm God put in creation. The, the Ten Commandments, are they're basic, low-rung, hey, if you kind of do these things, these are low-rung moral ways of living. Don't kill anybody, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, right? Interestingly, the one that he spends the most time on lengthwise is the Sabbath. It's a gift to the God that there will be no God above him, but I need a regular rhythm of rehearsing who he is and rehearsing my need for him so that there doesn't become a, comp a competing God. So I don't return to the slavery that I'm supposed to remember. Old Testament folks were supposed to remember he brought them out of Egypt. We are to remember that he, we have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with our bodies. And so um, it's not a, a rule, but it is built into the rhythm of creation. Adam Mabry, next slide. We're almost done. He says, hurried and frayed, we're not exactly the picture of heaven. We talk about, we want to encourage one another that we are to be his ambassadors. It's hard to be a winsome, uh, infectious ambassador of Christ and his kingdom if we live hurried and frayed and frazzled like the rest of the world. What's distinctive about us if that's how we run, if that's how we live? He says, we need to learn to hit pause. Biblical rest is less rule and more rhythm, less curmudgingly restriction and more liberating art form. It's something to be embraced and enjoyed. And I would just say this. I said it a little bit earlier, but wearily wishing to feel restful. I think we all feel that. Yet when we stop, you might feel guilty. You might feel like you're lazy. You might worry that you're not doing the stopping right. What I want to tell you is relax. Hear that God's in inviting you. If you've never done it, uh, I'm not here to prescribe to you to do a day. I'm not prescribing Friday sundown to Saturday sundown because that's what it was for them. 
I'm not saying, hey, don't mow your grass on Sunday. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying simply hear God's invitation and look at, look at your life and say, if it's to be a holy day, it's to be a gift, receive the gift, but you got to do a little bit of work. See, the blessing and being a gift is part of it, but when he says it's holy, that also means it's set apart for me and my purposes for you. And so there's a little bit of a claim. And so we need to say, well, what could I do? Stick my toe in the water. Could I begin by just trying to set aside a little bit of time? We as a family, would we consider um, putting the you know, little, little uh, portal you know, of escapes that fit in our front pockets, would we put them in a drawer for a day or a half a day or three hours? What will we do? Now, last thing I want to say on it, you can throw the next slide up. This is kind of the picture I want you to see. What could it look like? I do want you to know Sabbath or the rest of that God intends through Sabbath, the practice of it, is not a day off. There's plenty of you, it's not a vacation. Plenty of you, you go on vacation, you're like, I need a vacation for my vacation. This is not, let me, um, man, I've just been working, working, working. Let me just binge Netflix for like eight hours. Do you wake up? I mean, you wake up. Do you come out of your coma, Netflix coma, rested? No. Why? That's not the rest. The rest is work when it's time to work, but also know that I've set aside time, Lord, so that I can rehearse who you are. But that by your grace and mercy, I belong to you that you are my provider, that you are my glory and the lifter of my head. And by stopping, it makes me nervous that maybe I won't be productive enough to keep providing for my family. And God says, I got you, but you got to trust me. So Sabbathing in whatever form it takes for you, resting is an act of faith. Others would call it an act of resistance to our current world. But it's definitely hitting pause to rehearse, and to delight. I want to invite the worship team up. I want to say this as we move into the closing song. Um, Rehearsing and delighting. The reason why I use that, rehearsing is looking back, remembering, but it's also looking forward. The author of the Hebrews says that there's still a rest that remains for us, but also because of Christ's finished work, we can rest from proving ourselves. We can rest from being enough. He is enough. He is our sufficiency and we rehearse that. So we look back, but rehearsing is also something they did this morning in anticipation. Rehearsing is you rehearse for something that's going to be, and we are to, to rehearse the truths that God is our provider and shepherd, but also rehearse for that ultimately we will be with him. We will delight in him. There will be work in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be great creation, creativity, and beauty beyond what we can, I could try to say. And so we are even rehearsing that truth of the future delight. And like I said, is it a rule or not a rule? Well, our last theologian, last slide, Gloria Estefan. It may not be a rule for us as believers, but she says the rhythm is going to get you. The rhythm that you need rest, I need rest. And the invitation to go, it's okay. Lay it down for a day. Lay it down for half a day. And trust me. And he says, the Lord is my, the other theologian who's a little better than Gloria. We're going to sing this, but I want you to see this one line. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Here's the line. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Our world sells the quiet waters. They monetize and they advertise to you and me. Oh, this robe will make you so comfortable. Oh, this lake house getaway will be so great, right? They're monetizing the still waters. But that's not how most of us feel. But notice, many of us in this room probably need to face this. He might need to make you lie down. Because there's three authors I read, pastors and authors I read this week. They have written books on this because the rhythm got them. One of them went into a deep depression. One of them couldn't get off of like a bed for a month because they just kept going and kept going and kept going. And they were doing God's work. They were doing good stuff, right? And they burned out and they crashed. Why? Because the rhythm is going to get you. So we can have little rhythms along the way or eventually the Sabbath will come for the bill to be paid, if you will. And God says, delight in me now, trust me now. Would you stand? We're going to sing surely goodness, surely mercy. And you can just dismiss us. I've talked way too much. Thank <laughs> you.